Five time keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is Rudy Carlos filling in for Joe McLean. Uh, he's still out on vacation. Please keep him in your prayers. And today's October the 25th, 2022, the feast day of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales, among others, of course. Now, this feast, the Feast of the 40 Martyrs of England and Wales, honors the hundreds of British men and women who died for their faith in wake of the dispute between the Pope and King Henry VIII during the 16th century. You may remember that as the mass exodus of Catholics from, from England, formerly a Catholic country. Many loyal Catholics were tortured and killed by the British state from 1535 to 1679. And amazingly, God will have his souls because around the same time, over in Mexico and in the Americas, Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared and began the conversion of many of the pagans there. Praise be to God. Now, in 1970, the Vatican selected 40 martyrs, men and women, lay and religious, to represent the full group of about 300 martyrs. Each martyr was uh, has their own day of memorial, but they are all remembered as a group today on the 25th. Praise be to God. Uh, the, uh, the 40 martyrs of England and Wales, please pray for us. And uh, today on CDT, we're going we're gonna to make an analysis here. Right, Brent? We're going to have an analysis here on the effects of no-cash bail reform on the country. Because uh, Attorney Ken Good is going to join us, and we're going to have that very discussion at 35 past the hour. And then at 15 past the hour in our What's Concerning Us segment, we're going to talk about digital IDs, which uh, are kind of on the way over here. I think uh, we're, we're going to live through a time where a digital ID is a part of our day-to-day life. So we're going to discuss what that means, what that looks like from an article over from uh, Just the News. And also, uh, we're going to have Brent Haynes fill us in on what's going on in, in the world of, uh, of law. So praise be to God. Welcome to the show again. Brent Haynes, good morning to you. Good morning, Rudy. Good morning, GRN listeners. Very nice. Uh, what's on your radar today? Well, you're talking about cash bail. People might say, why are we talking about that? But this is a, another issue that affects people in their daily lives. Yeah, um, because it the short version is it ends. We end up with more criminals on the street committing more crimes and hurting people when they shouldn't be. So Ken Good is an expert in that, and he will be on to talk about that and explain what's going on in various parts of the country. It's part of the overall criminal justice reform movement, which mm. is really turning out to be more like the pro criminal movement. Yeah, you know, one of the surprising things about this is they spend these criminals spend less and less time behind bars, and they just get arrested and they're thrown right back into the same situations that they're in. Nothing changes. And in fact, they go on to to uh, commit more more crime. That That is what the evidence shows. And then next hour, we'll be talking about a couple of uh, legal victories by our friends and colleagues in the courts standing up for uh, religious liberty and uh, freedom to go out and speak and pray. Praise be to God. Yeah. And <laughs> this is a big week. Uh, we talked about the uh, the cake decorator winning the case out in California against the uh, the so-called uh, married couple, uh, a lesbian couple, that uh, were forcing them to bake a cake. And, I mean, we've talked about that for ages. I mean, it's a trend, right? But uh, that's that's a good victory. That's some good news on the horizon. And speaking of good news, we have uh, Adrian Fonseca. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. 
It is a beautiful day. It is, isn't it? It's the, kind of brisk this it, morning. It's good, good weather. You know, we had a light drizzle in the Houston area. Very but, nice. you know, I am so happy that we're actually getting some cooler weather. I stepped outside and I didn't start sweating immediately. That is a <laughs> that is a good sign. That's how you know it's a good day in Texas. Praise be to God. Especially in South Texas here yep, in Houston. Yep. Praise <laughs> be to God. So it's, it's good. It's good. Wherever you are, you know, praise be to God. It's I'm sure that there's something good that you can look for today. So look outside, look around you, find a blessing and thank God for it today. God is so good. Let's pray for all of your holy intentions, the intentions of the Guadalupe Radio Network, for those holy souls in purgatory and for the conversion of sinners everywhere, especially the most hardened and ardent blasphemers and heretics. Pray with me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And now here's a couple of headlines for you. Today is October the 25th. Here's what's uh, in the news today. Justin News reports Rubio canvasser suffers brutal beating while going door to door. Marco Rubio posted graphic images of the individual covered in blood being transported in an ambulance. The canvasser, he asserted, had experienced internal bleeding, a broken jaw, and he will need, or actually, I don't know if it's a male, but they will need facial reconstructive surgery. The senator relayed an account of the attack, which said it was carried out by four animals who took the canvasser that Republicans, who, who told the canvasser, rather, that the Republicans weren't allowed in the neighborhood. The beating occurred in Hialeah, Florida, which is part of Miami-Dade County, traditionally a Democratic bastion. And The Hill reports Biden, tra- uh, Biden targets Nicaragua's gold in new move against Ortega. The Biden administration is ratcheting ratcheting up pressure on President Daniel Ortega's authoritarian rule in Nicaragua, threatening to ban on Americans from being uh, from doing business in the nation's gold industry, raising the possibility of trade restrictions and stripping the U.S. visas of some 500 government insiders. The actions stemming from an executive order signed by President Joe Biden on Monday are the latest and perhaps the most aggressive attempt by the U.S. to hold the former Sandinista guerrilla leader accountable for his continued attacks on uh, human rights and democracy in the Central American country. The Daily Caller reports that uh, a poll says Republicans prefer Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump to influence the GOP. I guess I fall into this category as well. When asked, 72% of respondents in a poll chose DeSantis as a, a politician who should have a great deal or a good amount of influence on the party's political agenda, compared to 64% for Trump, according to Ipsos Research, which conducted the survey for ABC News. And Breitbart reports elite German law enforcement now preparing for blackouts amid fears of gas shortage. Specialist elements of Germany's federal police are now reportedly uh, preparing to deal with blackouts in the country amid nationwide fears that the country could run out of gas by the end of February. Brought about by a a perfect storm of Germans' green agenda meeting and, and the geopolitical reality of the Ukraine war, a loss of Russian gas exports has left the Central European state potentially unable to fill a gaping hole left in its energy economy. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you.
The saint of the day is Saint Crispian and Saint Crispianian. You know, the twin brothers. The Saint Crispin's Day speech, you may have heard. The martyrs of the early church who were beheaded during the reign of Diocletian. The date of their execution is given as the 25th of October, 285 or 286. It is stated they were brothers, but the fact has not been positively proved. The legend relates that they were Romans of distinguished descent who was who went on as missionaries of the Christian faith to Gaul and chose Sussens as their field of labor. In imitation of St. Paul, they worked with their hands making shoes and earned enough by their trade to support themselves and also to aid the poor. During the Diocletian persecution, they were brought before Maximus, Herculius, whom Diocletian had appointed co-emperor. At first, Maximus sought to turn them from their faith by alternate promises and threats. But they replied, Thy threats do not terrify us, for Christ is our life, and death is our gain. Thy rank and possessions are not to us, for we have long before this sacrifice alike for the sake of Christ, and rejoice in what we have done. If thou shouldst acknowledge and love Christ, thou wouldst give not only all the treasures of this life, but even the glory of thy crown itself, in order, through the exercise of compassion, to win eternal life. When Maximinus saw this effort were of no avail, he gave Crispian and Crispianus into the hands of the governor, a most cruel persecutor of Christians. Under the order of Rictovirus, they were stretched on the rack, thong were, thongs were cut from their flesh, and awls were driven under their fingernails. A millstone was then fastened around the neck of each, and they were thrown into the Essene, but they were able to swim to the opposite bank of the river. In the same manner, they suffered no harm from a great fire in which, in despair, they sought death himself. Afterwards, the two saints were beheaded at the command of Maximinus. This, these people were made famous in modern times by Shakespeare's St. Crispian's Day speech in Henry V. It goes something like this. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when the day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say tomorrow is St. Crispian. And then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feast he did that day. Then shall our names familiar in his mouth as household words. Harry the King, Bedford the Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester. But in their flowery cups, fresh remembered, this story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispins shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. But he ne'er so vow, this day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in England's now abed shall think themselves a curse that they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. St. Crispian and St. Crispianian, pray for us. Well said, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? To what can I compare it? 
It is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in the garden. When it was fully grown, it became a large bush, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. Again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in three measures of wheat flour, until the whole batch of dough was leavened. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Commentary on the Gospel today comes from, uh, from the Haydock Commentary. And it says, Our Lord was this mustard seed when he was buried in the earth, and he became a tree. And when he ascended into heaven, but a tree that overshadowed the whole creation, in the branches of which the birds of heaven rested, that is, the powers of heaven, and all such as by good works have raised themselves from the earth. The apostles are the branches, to repose in whose bosoms we take our flight, born on the wings of Christian virtue. Let us sow the seed, Christ, in the garden of our hearts, that the grace of good works may flourish, and that you may send forth the various perfumes of every virtue, thus according to St. Ambrose. Now, he continues to say, the flower represents us Christians who receive the Lord Jesus into our inner parts of our soul till we are inflamed with the fire of his heavenly wisdom. This is also from St. Ambrose. And in case these uh, references aren't really making sense to you, let me explain to you the process of making bread. On its own, the flour and the water, they need time to create yeast, and that yeast becomes the leaven, which raises the bread. If you mix up a portion of flour and water and then bake it, you'll be surprised to find out that it not only will not look like bread, but it'll come out hard tack. That is what it's like to live on our own means without looking and searching and begging God for those graces that he gives us every single day, if only we correspond to those graces, because they're being poured out on us every single day. Instead, if you take that leaven, which is Christ himself, and you add that to the portions of flour and water, what do you get? The loaf rises. And that is what it's like to be a Christian. So pray today that God gives you those graces, that leaven that we need in our life to raise it to a whole new level. Don't go away. There's going to be more Catholic Drive Time right after this break. Have you ever dialogued with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me? It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth, plain absurdity. Now the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. 
Doc, where are you taking this car? Great Scott, Marty! The Guadalupe Radio Network is saving so many souls, and by donating this car, it helps their future! And it's a great tax deduction. Yes! Just call 1-866-628-2277 or go to grnonline.com and click on Donate! That's heavy. No, Marty! Not heavy! It's charitable! Flux capacitor not included! Great Scott! Love those commercials. Well, they're not commercials. They're spots. Love that. Very, very good. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And as you know, it's very hard to keep track of the news, which is why we, we, we take it so seriously here on the show, provide you all of the, the breaking news and stories that uh, not only affect your day-to-day, but uh, are keeping you abreast of the situation. But the, the thing is, the truth is, is that we can't get into every single news article as much as we would like to, because some of these things, uh, they really affect your life. However, we do pick one of them, and today we've picked one article for our What's Concerning Us section, uh, segment, because this is an article that is concerning to me, and I'm sure it's going to be concerning to you. This is an article from Just the News. The headline goes, National Digital ID Clears Congressional Hurdle Amid Fears It Could Be Politically Abused. You may have heard about digital IDs before. They're, they're often used in uh, other countries. One famous country would be China. And it seems, uh, it seems to me that we're becoming more and more like the Communist Party of China here in the United States. Much to my chagrin and to the chagrin of other red-blooded patriots, it's happening faster than we can even control. And the article starts off by saying, a national digital ID system for U.S. citizens is becoming a fast reality following a vote by the U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee to advance the Improving Digital Identity Act. Digital IDs act as an online data-laden representation of human beings. Many analysts, such as the authors of a 2019 McKinsey Global Institute report, argue that they could be the key to unlocking access to financial services, various government benefits, and educational opportunities, as well as a number of other critical services. Some of the same analysts, however, also warn that the risks and potential for misuse of digital ID are real and deserve careful attention. Although the concerns about digital IDs are real, it's important to separate the facts from the fear-mongering fiction. In simple language, a digital identity enables an individual to prove who they are in the virtual world. And we operate day-to-day in, in a virtual world a lot. You know, if we're on social media, if we're applying for uh, a loan, or if we're opening up a credit card, you know, those people who are providing those services, of course, need to figure out whether or not you're actually the person applying for it. So we do uh, operate in a virtual world. It used to be a paper world. Uh, you would go into the bank, you would sign the paper, you would put down your social security number, you would provide identification. Nowadays, most of that stuff is done online for convenience. And I'm going to come back to convenience in just a moment. Proponents claim digital IDs offer greater privacy than traditional forms of identification 
and can help minimize some of the risks associated with physical documents, such as driver's licenses, passports, etc. Others, though, are quick to sound the alarm warning that the introduction of digital IDs will almost certainly lead to an erosion of civil liberties. Now, I think it's funny that they bring up driver's licenses, passports, etc., because I have a hard time tr keeping track of my family's documents. You know, we, we keep them in a safe spot, but I often wonder, what if the house burned down? I would have to go and stand in line at these uh, governmental offices and probably waste a couple of uh, well, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I could waste hours and hours of time that I would rather use for something else, getting these documents. And I think there might be a case there for, for me to say, oh, well, it would be convenient to have that on a, a digital platform. But the article continues. It says, digital is often touted as the future. And many people cast such as a, a transition as inevitable, writes Jay Stanley, a senior policy analyst at the ACLU, who believes digital IDs could prove to be a privacy nightmare. But digital is not always better, especially when systems are exclusively digital. Um, I never thought I would say this, but I, I am agreeing with him here. And I would like to just add that, uh, have you ever been onto a government website? I mean, most of the time they are piecemeal. They're put together ramshackle. You can barely get through the prompts that they put up there. It's getting better, of course, but uh, there's nothing like actually sending off a copy of your document and, and, and approving it that way. There's a reason that most jurisdictions have spurned electronic voting in favor of paper ballots, for example, Stanley writes. With voting software in some states vulnerable to outside interference, paper ballots increasingly appear to be much safer. I personally approve of paper ballots. I think, uh, they're, I think they're traditional. I think that's great. Similarly, digital IDs are vulnerable to attack. Horror stories involving people's identities being stolen are not uncommon. Remember, digital IDs are synonymous with data, and if there's one thing a hacker loves, it's data, especially the data of U.S. citizens. If digital identities are introduced to the U.S., which looks increasingly likely, they will be inextricably linked with financial services. And here's another risk to this convenience that we're, we're, uh, we're so fond of. Financial institutions, after all, are being encouraged to lead the way in development of comprehensive digital identity solutions. Digital IDs, we're told, will become more critical as online and mobile banking becomes more popular. Recent headlines make it easy to see why so many people fearful of the enforcement of political and ideological conformity through financial control are hesitant to embrace, embrace digital IDs. And here, I just want to add... If you were listening to the news segment right before this, a canvasser was attacked. This is a, a canvasser who was uh, promoting Marco Rubio in Florida. There are places where, uh, increasingly all over the country, where you're not allowed to have any sort of political opinion that differs from the so-called norm, from whatever the news tells you is good. I mean, the news told you that uh, Trump was bad for how many years? There are places and there are institutions that can punish you for wrong think. Kind of like there are places like this, this place in Miami-Dade that punish that canvasser for even going in there and, and, and thinking of promoting Marco Rubio in a place that doesn't typically vote Republican. 
So there's a danger here. Banking behemoths like J.P. Morgan Chase recently cut ties with Kanye West, who now goes by the name Yee. I don't know. People change their names all the time, especially artists, for some reason. While the bank's notification to him reportedly predates recent controversies, including the outspoken rapper and designer, he sported a White Lives Matter t-shirt and made remarks widely condemned to be supposedly anti-Semitic. He appears to hold certain viewpoints that don't align with those held by the multinationals executives. Around the same time as he found himself being kicked to the curb, J.P. Morgan decided to freeze the bank account of the National Committee for Religious Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit founded by the former Kansas Republican Senator Sam Brownback. Brownback, who served as ambassador at large for the international religious freedom in the Trump administration, was offered no explanation for why the account was frozen. One of our recent guests talked about how PayPal had frozen his account after he had a, a conversation on his podcast. And he never got an explanation as to why it was frozen. But it, it followed the podcast, and, uh, and it was uh, uh, critical about the banking system. Meanwhile, in recent, uh, recently emer- meanwhile, it recently emerged that PayPal, an online payment system used by tens of millions of Americans, planned to fine users $2,500 in damages if they were found guilty of spreading misinformation. Although PayPal has since reassured its users that the policy won't be introduced, this reassurance came only after considerable backlash, including the mass account cancellations by users and a sharp drop in the company's stock price. Here's a little answer to the, 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 the question. What can we do here? I mean, this is, I mean, this is already painting a very dire picture. For people who have opinions other than the norm, as I mentioned, it's becoming increasingly difficult to live day to day. It's going to be hard for you to go bank. It's going to go, it's going to be very difficult for you to share your opinion online. I mean, it already is. Try to put something online that is not uh, the normative way of how people talk these days, and you'll get canceled. We ask often, what can we do in the face of this tyranny, these companies who have so much power for some reason? We didn't elect any of these people. They have a lot of control over your free speech, over what you can do, over what you cannot do. I think what works best is by hitting them in the coffers. Just like these people who walked away from PayPal. When the company saw that their stock was tanking, that's when they reverse their course. Money speaks, and we can vote with our feet. And, and in, that, in that way, we can, we can really hurt them where it, <laughs> where it hurts them. In the coffers, money talks, okay? Earlier this year, GoFundMe, a for-profit crowdfunding platform headquartered in Redwood City, California, froze donations to Canadian truckers opposing COVID vaccine mandates. Shortly afterwards, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, who reportedly favors digital ID, threatened to freeze the bank accounts of the truckers. The high probability of digital IDs being closely associated with the access, or lack thereof, to finances and the growing link between ideological leanings and the financial exclusion and financial exclusion are fueling much of the resistance to digital identification. But I would add to this that it's not just that. I have talked about convenience often. I rally against convenience. 
And I think to my family sometimes they think, you know, Rudy's just being contrarian. I don't like convenience. If it's easy, I don't want it. We often tout these digital devices that we have in our, our phones, at our fingertips, these, these cell phones. We think of them as like the greatest thing that has ever, ever been invented. We think about these digital IDs and we think about the convenience that they, they bring so that we don't have to go look and rummage through our, our, our document pile to find the things that we need. Convenience is killing us. All we think about is convenience. What's easy? What's easy? And we're losing sight of, of the fight. We're losing sight of ourselves. What happened when we created technology like this, like the cell phone, and we put it in our pockets, and we have access to data 24-7, and we're bombarded by, by information, some of it that's not good? What happened to, to, to children who were, giving, who were given cell phones, and then they were using it and, and abusing it, this, this access to this technology, to look at pornography? It costs them their soul. And, and convenience is a helping, it's accelerating us in a way to lose our souls. I don't like convenience. And oftentimes when companies like this or, or, or uh, representatives of the government are touting something as, this is going to be good for you, it's going to be convenient for you, my, my alarm goes off. And it should be for you too. Because when they tout something as convenient to you, it really means that it's not convenient. That they're going to be taking something from you. That they're going to be using it against you. And we should rally against these digital IDs because it's going to make us more and more like the Communist Party of China. We have to sound the alarm and we have to shake away our complacency. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now here's a couple more headlines for you. This one's from the Daily Wire. And the headline goes, Wawa is closing nine Philadelphia area stores overnight due to robberies and rising crime. You may remember uh, a few weeks ago, Joe showed a video of a Wawa just completely being ransacked by teenagers. 
and they were stealing everything from the store. The gas station and convenience store chain plans to close overnight at a total of nine stores in northeast Philadelphia and the Bucks County suburbs, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported. The stores will be closed from midnight to 5 a.m. until further notice. The decision to close the stores comes after two stores were robbed earlier this week and as Wawa reportedly moles pulling out of Philadelphia altogether because of the crime problem there. The Epic Times reports decades of student progress has been wiped out. National math and reading scores are at historic lows, according to a report. National math and test scores were uh, scores in fourth and eighth grades rather showed the biggest drop since a national testing program began in 1990 and the reading level for the same grades reverted to a level from three decades ago eighth grade math performance has dropped eight points since 2019 and about a third of students in both grades can't read at the minimum required level according to the national assessment of educational progress and LifeSite News reports Australian football executive resigns abruptly after public condemns him for his Christian beliefs. Andrew Thornburn, former head of the National Australia Bank, was compelled to resign from his new position as head of the uh, Ascendant Football Club, the Bombers, as they're known, after it became known that the Anglican Church, where he serves as board chair, deems homosexuality to be a sin and abortion to be murder. He was abruptly canceled. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Back to you, Brent. Buddy, we're lucky this morning to have Ken Good to talk to us. This is another one of those issues where you might think it's an abstruse legal issue or something involving politics, but we're going to talk about how this really does affect everybody because it affects your day-to-day -day life out there when you're just going about things, trying to take care of your life. Uh, Ken is a graduate of Texas Tech Law School over 30 years ago. He's a 30-year-plus lawyer. Uh, when he was in law school, he was on Law Review. That is about the highest honor that a law student can earn. Only the very top law students make Law Review. Those are the scholarly legal journals, journals of the legal profession. Ken uh, has argued at the Texas Supreme Court and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the highest court. It's a Supreme Court in Texas for criminal cases. So Texas essentially has two Supreme Courts, one for civil cases and one for criminal cases. Ken's argued at both of those, and he's argued at the Federal Fifth Circuit, which is the circuit that includes Texas and New Orleans and Mississippi, or Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi, and it's headquartered in New Orleans. Uh, he's one of the top attorneys in his field in the area of bail bond law. Ken, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's awful early. It is early, so welcome to our world, Ken. We appreciate you getting up to uh, enlighten people on this issue. Uh, Ken, I woke up again this morning to another headline, uh, this one from New York, where a man who had shoved somebody in the subway onto the subway tracks um, had this uh, you know, serious history. He'd, he'd been arrested many times before and all of that. I'm not sure about his bail bond status there, but frequently when we get these stories, we hear that they were they were already out on bond and they already have they have current charges and that they're already out on bond and recommitting other crimes. Uh, can you tell us first of all uh, what is a bail bond? How does it work? How do judges set bail bonds? How do they decide what to set? And how has this traditionally worked? And what is the role of the bail bondsman? Well, bail is the assurance that you're giving to the court that you'll come back 
to answer the criminal charges. It dates all the way back to the Magna Carta, which is all the way back hundreds of years ago in England, which was the very first restrictions placed on the king's ability to just hold somebody. Back then, you would accuse somebody of a crime and they'd just hold them forever and uh, until they just uh, agreed to do whatever you wanted to do. The Magna Carta put restrictions for the first time on the king's ability to do that. And so that's kind of the, where the beginning of bail started. At one point, 200 years ago, you know, if you posted bail for somebody or if you spoke for somebody and they got out of jail and they didn't show up for court, you took their place. We've kind of changed it and modernized it, but now it's the assurance that you give to the court that you'll come back. We hear all the time that, well, I've got a presumption of innocence, so I shouldn't have to do that. No, that's not a consideration for setting bail. The considerations are set out in Section Article 1715 of the Code of Criminal Procedure. And there's a whole list of things you take into consideration. Probably the most important is the criminal history. But the types of bail that we use in Texas are, or across the country, we have personal bonds or PR bonds, or that would just be in, like in New York, release on no bond. That would be one type. And then a personal bond is really a free bond. Even in Texas, when you have to place an amount on it, a $100 PR bond is still a free bond. You're just promising that if you don't show up, you'll pay $100 in the future but you never get prosecuted for that, or they never try to collect that. Then you've got the private industry. You call that various different things, but it's the private industry, a surety bond. And then you've got what we call cash bonds. And, you know, sometimes the the names get interchanged. Like in Illinois, we hear all the time, they're getting rid of their uh, cash bonds. It's really getting rid of cash bonds. They got rid of surety bonds a long time ago, and we see them reaping the rewards of that already. For many years, they've had chaos in the criminal justice system. And so I think, so if we think of bail as just the assurance that you're going to give the court that you'll come back to answer the criminal charge, that's the reason why you release, we release you on bail. We know you'll come back. So somebody gets arrested. They go in front of a judge. The judge considers uh, the seriousness of the crime they're charged with, right? Yes. They consider uh, that person's resources, their ability to pay a bond. The judge isn't going to put yes. a million-dollar bond on somebody charged with a minor crime uh, who doesn't have any resources, right? That's true, but, you know, the reformers want to take, make that the only consideration. And it's just one of many, and probably the most important consideration is their criminal history. Because once you have a criminal history, if you can't afford the bail, well, then that's that's just, I mean, your your risk, you have a criminal history. So then the, the ability of pay ability for you to pay it goes down. If you have no criminal history, then your ability to pay should be given greater weight. So that so reformers you, want to make that the most important element or the only element, and that's wrong. Okay, so you got to two points there that uh, I wanted to make sure we covered, which is the judge is supposed to consider – uh, the defendant's criminal history. At least historically, that's what judges have done. Um, and then you mentioned what the uh, the reformers want to do, the anti-cash bail uh, reformers who are really part of the overall criminal justice reform effort. Go ahead and explain uh, what the people advocating uh, the elimination of cash bail want, and then we can go in and talk also about how that has affected life in the criminal justice system in the areas that have adopted those laws. But first, tell us what it, what do the uh, anti-cash bail people want to achieve? 
Well, I, I would say the, the anti or the pro-criminal justice reform group is made up of a coalition. And there's some on the coalition, coalition that uh, just want to be more generous, you know, like Christians or Catholics. Uh, we want to be more generous. We, we, you know, in the probably 10 years ago, we were in a very safe time period. We felt safe. And so when people are saying we're being too uh, too uh, critical or too we're too hard on people, then you know we feel safe. We can we can let up our our, our guard some. But there's part of this coalition that wants to create chaos. Uh, they don't believe that certain crimes should be crimes anymore, and that these are uh, that they there's a certain element of this coalition that believes that the criminals are the real victims and not the victims of the crimes. And so I think that there's a portion of this of this coalition that wants to decriminalize uh, a lot of crime, especially misdemeanor crime. You see that especially in New York and in California uh, with Proposition 47. And so I think the coalition is kind of crumbling in, because the parts that didn't didn't buy into let's decriminalize a bunch of crime are waking up because I think every day it's becoming more and more clear that the goal is to create chaos and creating chaos creates decriminalization. Because if you're making a situation where they can't prosecute crimes, they're having to dismiss them, like in Harris County where they're dismissing 72% of misdemeanors for the last two years. And I looked at August, it was over 90% that of all the cases disposed in misdemeanor court, they were over 90% dismissals. You, you have to come across, uh, you have to conclude that the goal of, of a segment of this group is just decriminalization. And that's what's driving this increase in crime. Because who's stepping into the void? Organized crime, gangs, uh, career criminals. And they're seeing it as a clear green light to just wreak havoc. That's the reason why we're seeing Cadillac converter theft take off. And, and you know, the surrounding counties where this takes place have noticed in Harris County, you've got uh, Montgomery County putting up a billboard that says, we support law enforcement and we prosecute criminals. And so the criminals that wander into Montgomery County are shocked. They're like, oh, you're taking me to the wrong jail. They're like, you're not in, uh, you're not in Harris County. You're in Montgomery County now. It's like, you're not in Kansas anymore, buddy. You're in our town. So in terms of the, the role of the cash, anti-cash bail people then, what they're essentially advocating is that defendants be released on their own signature, simply by signing a piece of paper frequently, without having to put up any security to guarantee that they'll, they will uh, appear in court for their court dates. After the break, we'll come back and talk more about the consequences of the no-cash bail effort. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to GRN. We're talking to attorney Ken Good. He is one of the leading bail bond attorneys in the state of Texas, and he's one of the leading experts in the nation on talking about and confronting this movement to eliminate traditional bail, which is where defendants have to um, you know, post some sort of security, usually by sign, getting a bond from a professional bail bond, bail bondsman to show that they will return to court. Um, Ken, we talked about how bail bonds traditionally work and how the cash, the no cash bail movement wants to eliminate the requirement that defendants post a bond or some sort of security to guarantee that they will show up in court. Um, the movement's achieved considerable success, though. New York uh, reformed their bail bond laws in 2019. Illinois has passed a law called the Safety Act, which will take effect in January. So um, what are the results that we're seeing where the effort to get rid of cash bail is already taking effect across the country? Well, we're starting to see rollbacks. I mean, Alaska passed reform, and then the next year they were like, oh, my God, what did y'all talk us into doing, and brought back the same people to testify, and then started rolling it back, repealing the statutes. We've seen that in multiple jurisdictions, even in New York, which is completely controlled by Democrats. They've had two rollbacks, and they talked about having another a special session before the election, which tells you that the politicians were feeling the heat of it. Uh, and then uh, I think we're... You know, even in Harris County, we're we're seeing a, a, a tremendous pressure to roll back the reforms that have taken place, and so I, I think we're actually in a we're coming out of this period of, uh, of of reform, and I think we're actually now coming into a period of a backlash where we need to uh, uh, be hold more people in jail and just do it uh, as a bright line across the board thing. So. I think we're seeing the pendulum swing really hard to the, in the other direction, and maybe even too far. Well, uh, just last month, the Houston Chronicle reported uh, that a man who has already been convicted of six felonies, now th this man already has six felony convictions, was out on bail for murder, and then went and committed additional crimes, because although they did require cash bail for his murder, uh, it was only a $150,000 bond, and you can explain to people the way that works, uh, or you can confirm the way that works generally is the person goes to a bail bondsman and puts up a fraction of that, makes payments. The bail bondsman guarantees the 150. 
thousand. So it's not as if that money is coming out of the the defendant's pocket. But the man then goes on to uh, get another felony charge for burglary, and we see these stories over and over in Houston. We've seen them in New York, uh, and that's the fear of many of the people in Illinois. So. I, I presume that's the backlash you're talking about as people are beginning to see that these no-cash bail policies have a real effect on the day-to-day safety of regular law-abiding citizens. Well, there's a candidate running for county judge in Harris County. Her name is uh, Alexandria Miller. I think she really says it in a good way. And, and what she makes the, the, is when we're releasing somebody based on the crime they've committed and not looking at their criminal history, so it's a crime-based release. That is a mistake. So as long as you only commit what this crime, and that's all we look at. We're not looking at how many times you've done it or what else you've done in your criminal history. We're just looking at the type of crime and basing release upon that. That's where we have our career criminals, gang members, and everything concentrate on those crimes and step into that void and take advantage of the system. We need, and that's the reason why we changed SB6. The problem we're having with Harris County is they they've made a decision that they're just not going to follow state law and they're just ignoring it. They're hiding behind a settlement that they entered into in federal court, which, you know, sometimes we see that where we weaponize a federal court so that we change the law and we say, Oh, it's been compelled by a federal court. No, it was a settlement agreement and it it was done where everybody agreed. I mean, it was not really adversarial at that point. And so we have, this uh, decision where we're just not going to follow Texas law anymore. And you have this fight, especially in Houston, between the legislature and the local officials. And that's really what this is. Are we going to be a law and order community or are we going to, you know, we, or are we going to be like in L.A. where the D.A. says, well, we just have a disagreement over who the real victim is? Well, Ken, just yesterday morning, there was a news report coming out of New York, which passed their law in 2019 and then saw a lot of crime committed, especially in New York City, by people who are out on no bail or low bail. Uh, so now the governor of New York, who is up for reelection, um, has said that she is open to reviewing the bail law and looking at bail data when New York has their next legislative session. So no doubt that plays into what you're talking about as uh, that there be that there's a backlash against some of this but you've also spoken uh, with people from other parts of the country you've talked with bail bondsmen from California other than places like New York and uh, uh, Harris County Texas and Illinois where we know they've passed the safety act where else have these uh, no cash bail laws or policies taken effect where the people have seen a negative response well, you know, California during the um, pandemic, they enacted a no uh, no cash bail or uh, yeah a system because you know they have a uh, uh, they have a county by county bail schedule, and so they switched over to a no no cash bail for most crimes uh, during the pandemic, and that's kind of like seeing bail reform on steroids. What happened there? I mean, it was so bad, and the problem they have is they had Prop Forty Seven where they changed most. A, a lot of misdemeanor crimes to fel- I mean, a lot of felony crimes to misdemeanors, and then we have prosecutors that elected not to prosecute crimes if you, for like theft under 950 bucks. So now we have stores across California closing in their urban areas because they can't withstand $25,000 a day in shoplifting, and now they're even closing because they just can't provide a safe work environment for their employees. So these, I mean, you. you 
it just didn't make sense. It didn't sound like, hey, that makes sense. We can say, we're going to switch over to a no-cash bail or we're going to go to a low bail. We're going to be more generous and how that creates chaos and all these things. Well, it just starts by nobody coming to court. And it's so simple. You know, in our criminal system, under the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, the Fifth Amendment, and other, and the Texas and the state Constitution, your case can't go forward if you don't show up. So it gets put on hold. And on average, we're adding the same number of cases to the conveyor belt every day, every week, every month. And if you switch, you're switching to a system where that slows down the conveyor belt for resolution of cases or stops it for a period of time. Well, now you've got this huge backlog because the criminals, the organized criminals, are going to continue committing crimes. And so, in the end, you're going. How do you, how do you alleviate the backlog? Well, that really. You're really getting onto the the second effect of uh, getting rid of cash bail. Uh, you know, the first is we're letting out defendants too easily, um, and they're endangering other people in the community before they even have their previous crime adjudicated. They don't have uh, they don't have a serious enough bail bond, and they they get out on their signature on a low bail, and then we see them commit crimes again. But now you're getting onto well, the second. Well, it's worse than that. It's wor- Wait, it's worse than that. We have judges not doing their jobs when they could deny bail because they violated the conditions of the first bond, which a condition is don't create, don't cause another crime or don't commit another crime. And when they have the opportunity to deny bail, they are not doing it. And, you know, we say they're setting low bail, but they're not. They're, they're declining the opportunities when they have the ability to deny bail. And in terms of, uh, of uh, not just the safety, you're talking about the conveyor belt and the backlog of cases. You know, the uh, it's the bail bondsman who really gets the defendants into court. I've worked on these cases myself. Um, people who are movie fans know that there's a recurring theme in Hollywood of the bail bondsman who goes after the fugitive. And the the, the, the plot always revolves around the idea that the bail bondsman has to get the fugitive back into court by a certain time or the bail bond was going to lose a lot of money. There have been several movies along those lines. Um, But that is the way it works in real life. If there is not a bail bondsman to go after people who don't show up for their court dates, then those people just aren't going to be be caught until they just get caught by happenstance. So they get pulled over on a traffic ticket, for example, because there are not enough police and sheriff's deputies and U.S. Marshals to go and look for everybody who fails to appear in court. So those cases uh, simply get frozen. The defendants are out there running loose. The evidence is getting older. Those cases will often get dismissed, and then those people are getting off scot-free simply by ignoring their obligation to come to court, even though they've been given low bail or no bail. Uh, now, I understand from your work that uh, – People are actually trying to take this no-cash bail or low-bail model uh, from Harris County, Texas, to Ohio and other parts of the country. Is that right? Yes. I think everybody in Harris County would say it's been a complete fiasco, and the surrounding counties would say it's been a complete fiasco. But the people, that the reformers, you know, went to Ohio to the legislative session, and they have gone across the state, I mean, across the country. And But this summer they went to Ohio and said, Harris County is the gold standard of the way you should reform the, your criminal justice system, and it's working great, and you should adopt it statewide. And 
and and and they don't even talk about all the bad stuff. They just ignore it, like it doesn't didn't even happen. What's and the I mean, can? I what's never known that? Ken, what's what's the failure to appear rate in Harris County that they're saying is the gold standard that the rest of the country ought to adopt? According to HarrisCountyCourtWatch.com, the current uh, average failure to appear rate for the misdemeanor courts for 2022 is over 80%. So on a docket of 100 people, over 80 people are not showing up. And there's examples of 100% not showing up for court on a given day. Uh, it's, it's, It's an example of chaos. It's an example of no no cases getting resolved. And the Harris County model right now is a model of dismissal when you, when you look at August uh, dispositions and over 90% of the cases were dismissed. It's not a system that will take care of victims. It's a system where it takes care of, of hardened criminals. I mean, it's, I don't know what you, a politician arguing for that, I don't know what you would do, uh, what, what you would argue instead if you were in the back pocket of, of organized crime. Well, there is hope on the horizon, though, uh, apparently that you see with a, a backlash coming in the report from New York that uh, even the New York governor is willing to uh, reconsider some aspects of bail. They might be saying this grudgingly. They might be saying it because uh, they're up for a hard time in re-election. They know people are fed up with high crime. But there is hope on the on the uh, you know, the horizon for this aspect of our criminal justice and the safety of citizens out there. Ken Good, thank you very much for taking your time to share your expertise, expertise with us this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, stick around, and we will be right back after the break. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your mega church, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, 
I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know. And now in these past couple of years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hi, I'm Father Nicholas Devine from Holy Name Passionist Retreat Center. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Wonderful day today, praise be to God. We just had a wonderful conversation there with uh, Ken Good and uh, and uh, Brent Haynes. Awesome conversation, Brent. Such an important topic to talk about. You know, one of the things that was so concerning to me, really stood out to me is, they're exporting the model that they have here for, for cash reform or so-called cash reform, cash bail reform here in, uh, in Harris County in Houston. And they're exporting it all over the world. Well, not all over the world, but all over the, the United States. That's, uh, man, I got to say, it's not working here. Why would you want to put that anywhere else, right? which is why the governor there has finally, finally made this small concession that, well, maybe we should look at this again. <laughs> you, you know, you'd think so. After, you know, talk to all the crime victims in New York. Yeah, that's true. And do you really think it's because, do you think that they're really walking back on this because of elections? I mean, crime is, is one of the things that's uh, hot. It's a hot-button issue. People are talking about it. They're being affected by it more and more. Do you think maybe... They're walking back on it and they mean it, or they're just walking back on it and they want to get reelected. Well, call me cynical, but when a politician changes their long-held policy only two weeks before they're up for re-election, <laughs> I, I'm going to think that they're a little worried in, about re-election. In their defense, they never had any beliefs to begin with, so they were just That's true. choosing based off of popularity to begin yeah. with. I, I disagree with you there, Adrian. These people have very firm beliefs. That's true. Uh, That's and, true. you know, let's just wait till we talk about the abolitionist, you know. There are the abolitionists in the pro-life movement who talk about abolishing abortion, but in the criminal justice reform movement, abolitionists, and they're out there, and they uh -huh. get decent press coverage. An abolitionist is someone who believes in abolishing prisons. Wow. Crazy. I mean, th these are real people who have access to major media who go and advocate these positions. And you say, well, that's crazy, but, you know, the idea that, uh, say, a man could be a woman is something we would have thought was crazy just 20 or 30 years ago, and now apparently it's a thing. You know, I find it kind of amusing that uh, people say there's too many people in prison, but at the same time there's too much crime. It's like, wouldn't that <laughs> imply that there's not enough people in prison? Thank you, right. Adrian. Thank hmm. you. You can hmm. serve on my jury any time. Logic. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. And I'm in your county. There you go. Oh, man. Well, that's, you know... I guess I, when I came out here to Texas, I had this idealistic view of what Texas was going to be like. Not, and I, I was foolish to think that the cities were going to be different. Even though I told them. Yeah, you, you kind of warned me, but I think I compartmentalized that and put <laughs> it away, and I just didn't think about it. I thought Texas was going to be like rooting and tooting, people walking around in cowboy boots. And some people do, Adrian, for the most part, and Brent and myself, we walk around in cowboy boots. But, uh, you know, the cities, they're increasingly 
the same everywhere. They are. Yeah. Um, Harris County and Houston in particular has become very much like other cities within the past uh, 14 years, really. Yeah. Um, I've lived here in Houston for about, um, about 25 years. And when I moved here, it was still, Houston was still very much part of the rest of Texas culturally. But now mm. there, but Dallas was the first to go, really. Mm. Wow. You know, da- Dallas um, went blue, as you might say. Mm-hmm. Dallas County elected a gay woman sheriff, which might be fine, perhaps, for a lot of people, but it's certainly a cultural indicator yeah. of change in, in the uh, society and culture in Texas. And then... Starting in 2008, especially with uh, President Barack Obama's election victory, uh, you began to see, and with the demographic changes and more people moving to Houston, because more and more people move here every year, uh, you began to see Houston become more and more like other large cities. You know what mm-hmm. I find very fascinating? I was listening. I can't remember who, who I heard this from. I didn't make this up. I'm not that smart. Uh, <laughs> but the someone was, telling, it was talking about the, the contrast between Dante's Inferno and how in Dante's Inferno, we have, what do you have? You have Dante leaving the safety of the city. And the city was a symbol of, of safety. It was a symbol of, of civilization, uh, civilization yeah. securedness. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, back then, if you were out in the wilderness, you could be robbed. You could be like people lived out there and you didn't know what was going to happen. It was, there was no unknown. law out there. There's no law out there. Yeah. But in the city, there was walls. There were uh, the army was there and things like that. So you had a little bit of safety. And so uh, Dante goes out into the wilderness. And what does he do? He's at, he's there and he's afraid. He's going into the inferno. Whereas today, it's the inverse. We have the exact opposite. And I can't remember who said this. It's driving me nuts now. But they were saying how <laughs> if someone wanted to write their own Dante's Inferno for him today, they would have to do the opposite, where someone goes from the city or goes from the wilderness into, into the, the city. city. Yeah. And that would be the Inferno. <laughs> and they talk about how we, uh, there's a desire among people today to want to go back to the land and go back to ranches, go back to farms. Mm. And we talked about this the other day, uh, and it's very fascinating to me, uh, this, this whole idea that the cities are now like, like, oh, Chicago? You better be careful going there. You, you might die. Like, that's that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy <laughs> to talk about, but we, it's normal for us to say. Well, it's a great conversation, and in case you missed it, you can always go to GRN online forward slash CDT, and you can check out our podcast feed there. There's a podcast feed in the flyout. You can listen to today's episode maybe about an hour after we sign off from the broadcast, or you can check us out on uh, Spotify. You can check us out on the Apple Play uh, or the Google Play Store. You could check us out on the Apple Store, and if if you're on the Apple Store, just go ahead and, and leave us a review. That really helps us to share the program with other people who are looking for similar content, other Catholics, other people who are politically minded who might not be Catholic but may be t- tuned on to the, to the faith through our show. So make sure to leave us a review there. That really helps us to get our show out there. But, uh, again, if you missed it, just go to GRN online forward slash CDT. You can get the podcast there. You can also sign up for our uh, our newsletter, which we send out once a week. We got a, an interesting piece of, uh, of entertainment this week. Adrian suggested a, a movie about a city, actually. It's a, a movie from Rome. So uh, we're going to include that in this week's uh, entertainment section from the uh, – for the uh, – the, the, uh, for the email this week. And uh, we also send out all of the different uh, – uh, interviews that we did that week as well. So make sure to go to GRN online forward slash CDT. But in another, in other news, Brent, uh, what's going on in the world of law? Well, you know, 
there are always these skirmishes and these legal battles that are going around going on around the country all of the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, we look at the headlines every day. We've just got done talking about crime, and people might uh, sometimes uh, come away depressed or pessimistic or get a negative <laughs> attitude. But uh, don't look, shoot the messenger. There are, uh, you know, there's good news out there. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, people in the Catholic Church go out and get involved in the pro-life movement. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of these people do this. I've done this where you go out and you pray at an abortion facility. And inevitably, do that long enough, you're going to meet somebody who's had the police called on them. Yeah. Uh, you might even meet somebody who was arrested and arrested wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people that has happened to, and I've provided legal advice in the past to people who go to uh, stand on public sidewalks outside abortion facilities, and they offer literature. They, they often just pray. They try to offer counseling. Um, I've been involved in a case where that did help save a, a, a life. Wow. Um, but um, sometimes people get arrested. I, I know one man who at one point he was surrounded by seven police cars. <laughs> so, and uh, they didn't arrest him, you know, fortunately. Um, well, in uh, North Carolina, in 2020, there were several people out uh, praying outside an abortion facility mm-hmm. in Greensboro, North Carolina. And this gets back to what we were talking about a moment ago about, you know, cities getting more liberal and people out in, say, the suburbs and especially the rural areas being more conservative mm-hmm. uh, or more civilized, you know, the inverse of, of hundreds of years ago. Uh, the police showed up and they arrested these people who were praying outside the abortion facility for violating COVID restrictions. <laughs> now, first of all, they were outside, okay? But wow. let's leave that. Let's leave that aside. The main point here is they didn't violate any restrictions. You know, they followed all the restrictions. They had the, the a, a small number of people, according to the limit imposed by the COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. They engaged in social distancing. They still got arrested, and so some of our good pro-life lawyers from uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom and one of and one of their volunteer attorneys in the area went to court for these people, and they just won a victory with the uh, city of Greensboro, which came out and basically admitted, you know, essentially that they're wrong. Now, a lot of times these settlements have agreements where they say they admit no wrongdoing, but. Um, they essentially uh, admitted that uh, these people had been had had their First Amendment rights violated, and they agreed that in any, any future proclamation, that uh, First Amendment rights will be protected. Hmm. Uh, you know, this is a vindication of these people's rights. Yeah. Uh, now, that was the case against the city back in February. Uh, the county was also involved. That's a Guilford County in uh, Guilford Courthouse in uh, Guilford County in. Uh, North Carolina, and the county uh, essentially lost that lawsuit. They paid $15,000 in attorney's fees. And so these people who were arrested for simply going and praying outside an abortion facility, even following what are admittedly, you know, just irrational, you know, restrictions on people who are outdoors. But these people uh, are arrested. Uh, But guess what? You know, we still have a court system with a lot of good people in it. We still have a lot of good citizens in this country, and these people's rights were vindicated. And we mm-hmm. should be glad for that, and we should be grateful, and we should be praying for these attorneys that go out across the country, often with little thanks and at great time and expense to themselves, because they're usually doing this free or for lower or for low pay. 
Yeah. And the attorneys went out there and they, they won those cases back in February and then, and then again just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Rudy, there was another case up in uh, Michigan. There was a Russian immigrant who hmm. was going to school at Oakland University in Michigan, and she uh, asked for a religious accommodation for the COVID vaccine. Okay. And the good news is the university said okay. Well, all is well and good. But? She goes on social media, and she provides information about this. Oh, now she lets might, a cat out of the bag. Well, other people might, might want to do it. You might think that somebody has a right to free speech in this country. Right. And that especially in a university, in an academic context, you would think that you'd want the free exchange of ideas. Mm. So the university, of course, uh, suspended her or kicked her out of the dorms for violating their policies. Unbelievable. And First Liberty Institute, which is headquartered in Dallas, represented her, and they didn't go into details, and the university doesn't admit that they did any wrong. But uh, First Liberty uh, just uh, announced recently that they achieved an amicable settlement in that uh, case. Yes. So it, these are important cases. They don't make the big headlines the way the, the uh, uh, cake wedding cake uh, case from Colorado made headlines a few years ago and went all the way to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. or even the way the, the wedding cake case from California recently made headlines. Um, but these cases are going on frequently, and we rack up a lot of victories because we're right on the law. We do have free speech in this country, and there are attorneys out there willing to defend you. And anybody who feels intimidated or who's ever threatened or has problems like that should reach out to groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom or look, at, look for attorneys in their area who will know those people mm. uh, or who can put them in touch with them. On a separate legal issue, Rudy, next Monday the United States Supreme Court will hear arguments in yet another affirmative action case. Uh, this is the case against Harvard University, and the issue is Harvard University discriminating against Asian Americans. Mm. Harvard essentially admits, yes, we discriminate against Asian Americans. And why, Rudy? Because they don't like them or something? No, but because Asian Americans are too successful. <laughs> and if Harvard didn't discriminate against, this is their argument essentially, if Harvard didn't discriminate against Asian Americans, they would have too many Asian Americans at Harvard. Wow. So that case uh, was accepted finally by the United States Supreme Court. They will hear oral argument next Monday. And people who are actually interested in these things, and, uh, they can listen to these oral arguments. If not live, uh, they can always, especially with your busy work schedule, you can uh, go online and you can find these oral arguments online and listen to them later. You can download an app and listen to them. And legal arguments that are at the U.S. Supreme Court are often at a more principled, philosophical, and, and understandable level. Mm than legal arguments at your local courts or in your intermediate appellate courts because arguments at the local level often get technical. Mm. You know, like, are you the right person to bring this lawsuit? We call that standing, for example. But people interested in that case and in uh, affirmative action uh, might want to check that out, and then we'll talk about that in the future, hopefully. Praise be to God. Thank you, Brent Haynes, Attorney Brent Haynes, for uh, keeping us informed about what's going on in in the world of law. But uh, we're going to go to a short break, and right after this break, we're going to play our game, Fear and Trembling. You can call right now, 1-877-757-9424, 1-877-757-9424. 
In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. I am not Joe McClain. I'm Rudy Carlos, and I'm filling in for Joe, who's on vacation this week. Welcome to our game show, Fear and Trembling, where there are prizes at stake. But first, we're going to need a caller. So go ahead and pick out that phone, which I uh, rallied against in the first hour. I know, I said phones are bad. Well, pull out your phone anyway and dial one eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. I'm going to give that number one more time, one eight seven seven. 757-9424. You can call right now. The phone lines are completely open. And Adrian Fonseca is ready to take your call. Now, if you're, uh, if you're actually in fear and trembling right now because you're thinking, I want to play the game, but I don't know any of these trivia questions that they're going to ask me. I don't want to be embarrassed. Well, there's good news. You don't need to know the answer to play the game. Because instead, I'm going to ask Brent Haynes, and I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca the question. And one of them is going to give us the correct answer. One of them is going to give us the wrong answer. And all you have to do is discern who is telling the truth and who is telling a lie. You just pick the right answer 
and every correct answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence. But in order to play the game, we do need a caller on the line. The lines are completely open right now. You can call one 757 9424 if you played recently in the last... Oh, I don't know, uh, the past week or so, maybe you skip. But if you haven't played in at least a month, you can call us right now, one 757 9424 And you're going to go into this week's uh, prize drawing, which will be drawn on Friday. Now, I thought it might be a little bit interesting to do uh, something a little different this week. Typically, we're up front with you. We're, we're, really, we're really up front with you. We tell you how it is. And I usually tell you who the sponsor is. But this week, I thought it might be kind of fun to make it a mystery prize. You're not going to know what you're playing for until Friday when I reveal it to you. I was inspired by uh, these grab bags. You know, you go into a store sometimes, they have these uh, brown bags, and they say, well, there's a mystery in here. All you have to do is pay for whatever. You don't have to pay for anything. Because this week, we're going to be drawing and revealing that prize on Friday. But it seems like we do have a call on the line right now, and uh, we're ready to play our game Fear and Trembling. Uh, Sarah from Floresville, Texas. Good morning to you. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? Doing well. Praise be to God, you know? Praise be to God. Sarah, Absolutely. how are things over there? Beautiful. It's a beautiful day here in Floresville. And what are you up to today? Are you driving to work? Are you uh, having breakfast? Oh. I've got some toast and avocado waiting for me, but I'm going to wait until I see if I can answer this question. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Praise be to God. You gotta reward yourself. Well, Sarah, do you know how to play the game? I have never played it, but you said there was no one online. I said, okay, I've got a minute. Very good. Awesome. Well, would you, would you like us to explain to you how to play the game? Something about a coffee cup of evil or something? What's up with that? No, <laughs> not evil. Divine providence. It's the divine oh. providence of God that picks the winner every Friday. And they go in and, uh, well, the, the prize is drawn on Friday. But in any case, cool. Fear and Trembling is a game show. And you don't have to know any of the answers, any of the trivia questions we ask you. Because instead, I'm going to ask Brent Haynes and I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca. And one of them is going to give us the correct answer. And the other one's going to give us the wrong answer. And all you have to do is pick the correct answer. And every correct answer puts you in uh, into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. So you have three chances to go into the prize, which we draw on Friday. Sarah, are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Then I'm going to start with Brent Haynes. Brent, when is a pope elected by compromise? Exciting, but this one's actually pretty easy. When they can't make a decision, when there's not a clear winner, okay. when there's a deadlock. They flip a coin or what? Uh, almost. But when there's a deadlock, when they can't come to a clear decision, they just elect a pope by compromise. Huh. Okay. Compromise. Interesting. Adrian. Yes, sir. When is a pope elected by compromise? Compromise. You mean like whenever the election is compromised? Ooh. Ooh. Has that happened? Um, That's maybe. never happened before. Uh, a few times. A few really? Times, yeah. Okay. Like, wow. you know, when the Medici family would oh. come in and they'd pick a pope. That's yeah. true. So whenever a, it is called vote by mob. Vote by mob. And not by like the mob, but like. The mob. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Are we talking oh, about like... say mafia? we talking about like The Sopranos? No, it's a bad show, like by the way. Don't watch like that. that. <laughs> La mafia? All right, Sarah. You got, you got options here. Brent says it's compromise. 
So they just kind of, uh, I don't know, they throw their hands up into the air. I don't know. I guess we'll pick this guy over here. And we got Adrian, who says, uh, vote by mob. Sarah, who do you think is right? Who do you think is telling a lie? Wow, that's a tough one. Especially since it's election season and early voting just started yesterday in Texas. Wow. I think I'm going to go with Brent this time. Are you sure? Oh, very good. Very good. Yes, a vote of compromise is when a deadlock, the College of Cardinals, unanimously delegates the election to a committee of cardinals whose choice they all agree, all right, whatever this committee of cardinals chooses, we're just going to go with what they choose. We trust these guys. They've been in the game the longest. They know what they're up to. Well, you're in for one here. Uh, you're, you're in for one entry here, Sarah, in the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. I'm going to move on to Adrian for the second question here. Adrian. That's my name to wear it out. How does a good... <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Adrian, how does a good Catholic get souls out of purgatory? Some would say uh, bail them out. Oh, interesting. Well, yes, (laughs) a uh, good Catholic gets souls out of purgatory. We're coming up on All Saints Day and All Souls Day. A good time to go visit a cemetery. And when you do, you pray at the cemetery. And what do you get? Is that where they make cement? An indulgence. Uh. You get an indulgence. So you can apply indulgences to the souls in purgatory to get them out. Uh, really quickly, what are the uh, what are the prerequisites for getting an indulgence? Uh, you have to be in a state of of uh, sanctifying grace, have gone to confession, mm-hmm. receive mm-hmm. communion within a week, okay. and be detached from venial sin. Well, that seems simple enough. Yeah. Brent, how does well, a good Catholic get souls out of purgatory? Well, you sort of gave it away there, Rudy, when you said bail them out, and it's nice that we were able to time this question mm. on the same day yeah, we talked you about. Yeah, didn't feel sick. Should we offer that at the local Wilson County Dale? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, the uh, the whole idea of the ba- bailing people out of jail comes from the Catholic tradition, which you don't hear about much anymore, mm-hmm. of doing offering, making a financial offering at your local mm. parish and offering a prayer of bailment. Ah, oh. okay. Brent is on the board with a prayer of bailment. And Adrian, however, is on the board for an indulgence. Sarah, what say you? Oh, this is hard because I'm not a Catholic. (laughs) 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 I'm a Protestant. (laughs) Good grief. Um, Mm. I don't know. Let's let's give Adrian a chance. All right. Praise be to God. You got it. Look at that. You know, Sarah, it's it's scientifically proven that when people guess Adrian is correct, they become 10 times more attractive, <laughs> 10 times smarter, 10 times younger. It's a scientific fact. Oh. Uh, don't don't fact check me. It's the fountain of youth, yeah. really. It really is. True. I need that. I need that. I was plucking some gray hairs yesterday. These <laughs> <laughs> are not very halo-like. Uh, what's up with the gray hair? Okay. Well, in <laughs> any case, you got it right. You're in for two. How does a Catholic get souls out of purgatory? Well, it's not by our own power but by indulgences which we can receive and we can ask god to apply them to those holy souls in purgatory Amen, brother and now uh question three i'm going to go back to brent we are running out of time here what is the common prize offered in winning a parochial grade school spelling bee sarah <laughs> if you've ever seen that movie from the 1950s song of bernadette bernadette which is about bernadette's hearing seeing 
Mary come and visit, which led to Our Lady of Lords. At the beginning of that movie, the priest comes in to give beautiful little prayer cards to the girls in their catechism class. Mm -hmm. And those are considered sacramentals. Oh, wow. okay. Adrian, I've never personally been to one of these spelling bees. Oh. So I'm curious, what is the common prize offered in winning a parochial grade school spelling bee? Well, you know, I actually went to a parochial school. You did? I did. I did. And did you do one of these? Actually, I did, and it was really bad because I was a really bad speller. <laughs> but uh, all the kids in the class were like, hey, we're all going to get the question wrong on purpose because we don't want to be in the spelling bee. And nobody told me. And so I got the first one right, and so I ended up going off to dispelling me. And I was nice. like, this is terrible, because I can't smell. <laughs> it was uh, very bad. But, however, the prize offered in winning a parochial grade school spelling bee is one of those giant checks that come in. They give you one of those oh, giant checks. Oh, yeah. It's, it's cash money. They go, money, money, money. What are we so talking about? A couple thousand? It depends on the parochial school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some are better better, yeah, better yeah. neighborhoods. You know that how sort it of goes. Thing. You know how Ah, okay. All right, Sarah. Is it a giant, comically large check, as Adrian says, or mm. or is it sacramentals, as Brent Haynes says? Mm. Well, the big checks are very political here lately. <laughs> the, the, the little card sounds more, um, not more, a pizza party. More but, apropos. You know. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with Brent this time. Praise be to God. Thank you so much, Sarah. Hang on on the line. We're going to put you on hold, and we're going to get your information so that uh, we can put you in the prize drawing for Friday. But thank you so much for participating today in our game show, Fear and Trembling. Wow. What an awesome show today. Thank you so much for joining us. That's going to do it for us. But if you just really can't, you can't do without us for another 30 minutes. Jump onto our social feeds, YouTube, Odyssey, Facebook. You could go onto GRN online forward slash CDT. Check all of those social feeds out and join us for the after show. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is Tuesday in the 30th week of Ordinary Time. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With 
His own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Today we celebrate a special Mass for various occasions for the Holy Church. Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who in your wonderful providence decreed that Christ's kingdom should be extended throughout the earth, and that all should become partakers of his saving redemption, grant, we pray, that your church may be the universal sacrament of salvation, and that Christ may be revealed to all as the hope of the nations and their Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife, just as Christ is head of the church. He himself the Savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church, and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So also husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. In any case, each one of you should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. 
Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. For you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home. Your children like olive plants around your table. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? To what can I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in the garden. When it was fully grown, it became a large bush, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch of dough was leavened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That first reading of St. Paul to the Ephesians is so rich that it will probably take us a few days really to begin to unpack it. But he begins by saying, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. He wants to present marriage, between the, the union between a man and a woman as an image of that love of the Father and the Son. And what kind of jumps out of the page is St. Paul's kind of wonder and awe at this great mystery. So this is a mystery. I refer to Christ in the church. And, of course, Christ giving himself up for us. In a sense, he leaves the glory that he has with the Father. And at some point in life, he leaves his mother in order to cling to us. Not a very great exchange, but anyway, there it is to cling to us to form this new family. I've thought it curious sometimes in our uh, rite of Christian marriage that uh, even St. Paul quotes, that, uh, quotes Genesis, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, that it seems like the opposite really happens. It's the bride who comes down with her father, or accompanied by her father, down, uh, down the aisle to the front of the aisle, uh, or the front of the sanctuary, where then he hands her over to her to the bridegroom. But I think because we do, we do it that way, it really images Genesis, yes, but even more so the book of Revelation, where the wedding feast of the Lamb truly begins, that the bride, that is the church, will be handed over uh, to, uh, to Christ and then to the Father uh, to glorify the Lord, uh, that Christ and his spouse, the church, then becomes one, united in this, in this beautiful union. And so the bride coming down really represents the church, 
you know, white garments, of course, without spot or wrinkle. Well, that's the idea, at least. And then to come to be united with Christ and the bridegroom to form this union. Perhaps uh, our Christian unions and marriage do not reflect this most deeply, this mystery. But I think sometimes we could maybe just be turned off by some of the wording that St. Paul uses. For instance, that uh, wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord, and the husbands as has, as head, should be the head of his wife, just as Christ is head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. As someone pointed out, you know, sometimes when you're at weddings or you hear this in Sunday Mass, uh, you sometimes see spouses kind of nudging each other. You know, did you hear that? Did you say, are you listening to what it's saying? That you should be subordinate or uh, you should love me as, uh, as you would yourself. And there's something to that because it does really elevate uh, what marriage should be, how it should image Christ's love for the church. And maybe it doesn't always image that so clearly. But there is where the grace lies. And St. Paul always wants to kind of keep our eyes looking up. To, to what the what it could possibly be, the glory and the beauty that married life can reflect the, that union of Christ in his church. Even if it falls short, the grace is always there in order to try to elevate that. That subordination is not so much of slavery. And this is always the key, is to look at Christ and his love for the Father and the Father's love for Christ. The Father gives everything, he pours out everything for Christ, and Christ in turn pours out everything in this burst of joyful generosity back to the Father. And that is where that image of subordination and that love and of self-giving to one another is supposed to reflect. As long as, it, as that is uh, pointed towards Christ, it can become something beautiful and, and quite radiant. As much as it's sort of, we come back down to the sort of the level, the human level of, uh, of domination and slavery, it loses everything of its glory. I think one kind of key in that relationship for married couples, but then also for us in the church, is as St. Paul begins there, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we reverence Christ in every person that we meet, in every person that we meet that comes in upon our path. Maybe this connects us with the gospel a little bit. When Jesus says, he compares the kingdom of God to like yeast that a woman took and mixed in three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch of dough was leavened. Think back to the gospel this past Sunday, where Jesus presents the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's the tax collector who goes home justified because he comes before God, not presenting all the great things that he's done, but rather understanding that he's a beggar before God, he is in need of his mercy, total reliance and dependence on God. And so because of that, the, what has to happen in our hearts is this turn to thanksgiving and honor and praise to God for everything. One of my confreres, he challenged the congregation this past Sunday. He says, for one day, just one day this week, praise God for everything. Before you start complaining, before you say, this is not right, this is not the way it should be, just, first of all, praise God for everything. And he says, you know what? He says, your, your whole week will be different because you'll go into the next day or the following days with this sort of hymn of praise in the heart. That is that little bit of yeast that will leaven the entire dough. The little bit of yeast, that one small act of praise to the Lord and thanksgiving will leaven everything, will lift it up to the Lord. That even the things we consider to be really a disaster, or things don't go the way that we thought they would, 
can nonetheless we can begin to see and reflect uh, the, the beauty that God has in his plan. And that kind of connects us for, again with that reverence for Christ, that when the, the person that we come before, that we always honor and reverence the presence of God in them. They are made in the image and likeness of God. I remember St. John the 23rd. One of the things he would do, because he had many, many different audiences with people, but he would always ask his guardian angel to greet the other person's guardian angel. Because God has given us guardian angels, every single person. So he would have his guardian angel greet them, and, and that was his way of kind of reverencing the Lord in the other person. And that you know, will lev often leaven uh, our encounters with one another. Brothers and sisters, let us uh, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. I'll bring our prayers and petitions before our Heavenly Father. We pray for the Holy Church of God, that it would give glory to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be a more perfect and pure image of his love for us, we pray to the Lord. Pray in a special way through the liturgy of the word today for married couples, uh, that they may image the love that Christ has for his church, completely giving to, e to each other, we pray to the Lord. For those who are sick and who are suffering, they may unite their sufferings to Christ and receive his healing consolation we pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who have died, for all the holy souls in purgatory, and may rest in peace. We pray to the Lord. For the intentions of those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, for those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers we bring you this day. We ask that you answer them according to your holy will. Through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for fear of goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth, work of human hands, will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine, a work of human hands, become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and of all his holy church. Look upon the offerings of the people consecrated to you, O merciful God, 
and through the power of this sacrament, grant that, that, that the multitude of those who believe in you may constantly be made a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of your own, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For when your children were scattered afar by sin, through the blood of your Son and the power of the Spirit, you gather them again to yourself, that a people formed as one by the unity of the Trinity made the body of Christ in the temple of the Holy Spirit, might to the praise of your manifold wisdom be manifest as the church. And so in the company of the choirs of angels we praise you, and with joy we proclaim Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take this all of you and eat of it for this is my body which will be given up for you In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. 
Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world. Bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let's offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally. Come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Soul of my Savior, sanctify my breast. Body of Jesus, be my saving guest. Blood of my Savior, bathe me in thy tide. Wash me, he waters, gushing from his side. Strength and protection, may his passion be. O blessed Jesus, hear and answer me. Deep in thy wounds, Lord, hide and shelter me. So shall I never, never part from thee. Guard and defend me from the foe malign. In life's last moments, make me only thine. Call me and bid me come to thee on high. When I may praise thee with thy saints for high. Let us pray. O God, who constantly feed and strengthen the church with your sacraments, grant to us who have been nourished at the heavenly table that by obeying your teachings of love, we may become for the human family a life-giving leaven and a means to salvation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks be to God. Oh God. The Prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, Cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I'm Father Paul Hovenetz, the pastor of 